You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 2. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and read the first three verses. If you are on our daily devotional reading email, you're probably thinking, well, Brother Ricky, I thought we was going to preach through the first 10 verses. Well, we planned on it, but we're not going to make it. So we're going to concentrate our thoughts on the first three verses only. Has this ever happened to you? You went to the cabinet, got your bowl, the big one, put it on the counter, then went to the pantry, opened the door, got out your favorite cereal like mine, Frosted Flakes, filled your bowl up with Frosted Flakes, had your spoon ready, and then you went to the refrigerator, opened the door, and somebody did the unthinkable. They put a carton of milk back in the refrigerator with no milk in the carton. Or maybe this much. That's not the way to start a day, agreed? You don't want to have to go to Walmart, you don't want to have to go to the DG, but there's no way you can eat that bowl of cereal without milk. It's just not the way to start a day. And if you're like me, it's not the way to end a day. It's 10.30 at night, you're studying, you got your bowl filled, you go to the refrigerator, and there's no milk. Now, if you're a husband, this has happened to you. Or maybe it's your wife, it's happened to you. Your spouse is cooking. And all of a sudden, they get to that key place where they've got to pour in the milk and realize they do not have enough milk. And they turn to you, and you've got to go to Walmart. You've got to go to the DG. But if it's one of those moments where you can't wait 30 minutes for you to go and get back, if you live where we live, you go to the next door neighbor. Amen? Praise the Lord, my neighbor is my sister and my son. And it doesn't matter if they're home or not. You just go into the house, you open the refrigerator, you get the milk. And then when you see them later, you kind of, you know, instead of saying I stole your milk, we say something nice like I borrowed your milk, I'll get you some later. You just do that. Now, if you don't know your neighbor, I do not recommend you do that. But we've all been there, correct? You do know this, right? That's what was behind the Got Milk commercials. Does anybody remember what the commercial was before Got Milk? It was milk, it does a body good. The milk industry for years sold us on the positive aspect of drinking milk. I grew up with my parents saying at the dinner table or the breakfast table, drink your milk. You'll not grow up unless you drink your milk. But in 1993, In California, they began to understand that because of sodas and other things, American people were consuming less milk. And so they hired John Steele, an advertising firm. And you know what John did? When he realized that milk consumption was down and he was being hired to get us to drink more milk, he actually said to his team of people who he was gonna work with, he wanted them to go a week and not use milk. So he delayed the meeting for a week, did not let them use any milk, and when they come to the meeting, they were totally frustrated. 
They had also in the company break room that week, they had hid a camera and they had stocked the tables with cookies and desserts, anything you would eat and want milk with it. And then when the people would open the door to get milk out of the refrigerator, all of the cartons were empty. And they captured the reaction of what it's like to need milk. Thus, the got milk commercials. Do y'all remember this first one? It was the first got milk commercial. It's still one of everybody's favorites. And that was the Vienna Wood Dancing Bee, one of my all-time favorites. And now, let's make that random call with today's $10,000 question. It's a tough one. Who shot Alexander Hamilton in that famous duel? All right, let's go to the phones and see who's out there. Hello? Hello, for $10,000, who shot... Hello, Bob. Excuse me? Hello, Bob. I'm afraid your time is almost up. I'm sorry, maybe next time. Got milk. That's imprinted in our brain. Did you remember the one where the man fires somebody in his office, doesn't know if he ought to do it or not, does it? And then he walks out into the street and he gets hit by a semi. And he wakes up and he's in a place where it's solid white. And because it's solid white, and on the table there's this gigantic cookie, he thinks he's died and went to heaven. And he's so relieved because he was worried about if what he had done was wrong and it would send him to another place. But now he's in heaven. He is so tickled. There's this gigantic cookie. He starts to eat this gigantic cookie. And then he goes to the fridge. And when he opens the refrigerator door, it's just full of milk. But when he grabs the container, they're all empty. And then he realizes he didn't go where he thought he was going. And if you saw that commercial, when Got Milk comes up, Got Milk is on fire. Yeah. If you read the devotional, we're not talking about physical milk this morning. We're going to talk about spiritual milk. And I've debated, should the title be Got Milk, or should it be Milk, It Does a Body Good? You know titling the sermon is the last thing I do because I want the title to capture the essence of the message. But we're not going to use either one of those titles. Because they just don't fit completely. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to borrow a commercial. Tweak it, Brother Ricky style, just a little bit to fit this passage. Milk, it's what's for dinner. The beef industry is going to let me borrow their slogan. And spiritually, we're going to realize this this morning, hopefully. 
milk, God's word. It's what's for breakfast. It's what's for lunch. It's what's for supper. And if you're one of those people who eat between meals, milk. It's for your morning snack. It's your afternoon snack. And if you just like something really, really good before you go to bed, it's milk. It's your nighttime snack. Got it? Milk. God's milk. God's word. Pure spiritual milk. It's what's for dinner. Let's stand together now and open our Bibles. First Peter chapter two. We're gonna look at the first three verses. Before, before we start to read, let me remind us that when Peter wrote this, he did not write in chapters and verses. He just wrote a letter. And then years later, we came along and decided to add chapters and verses to make it easier for us to do what we're doing right now, and that's find a particular passage of Scripture. I don't like the way this is broken. Chapter two does not start a new thought at all. It's gonna be obvious by the first word in the first verse that Peter is continuing his line of thought. So what we're gonna say this morning is based on what we said last week. What was the message about last week? It was a command for us to what? Love one another. Not because we have needs, but because they have needs. And who are we loving? We're loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're loving family. Why are we loving one another? Because we've purified our souls. We've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. And that's why it says, so. So, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation and then we've got a a dash we've got a bar there that we don't use a lot in English if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good Father we're asking you to anoint us as the speaker and to anoint us as the listeners. Father, I remind you on behalf of this congregation, none of us have come here to hear what Brother Ricky believes. We've come here hopeful that he has exegeted this correctly 
And when he teaches this morning, he's teaching, not his thoughts, but he's teaching your word. And Father, I'm just saying on behalf of me, I do not want to be a speaker only. And as part of this congregation who's going to listen while I speak, we don't want to be hearers only. We want to be doers of your word. Father, anoint us now so that this is not a speech, it's not a talk. But it's your word being preached. It's your word being taught. And we're now going to, we're going to feast. And then we know that your word is going to do what you've ordained it to do and that's grow us up. Thank you, God. We ask for this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you're a regular at Hardin Baptist Church, you know that after we read a passage of scripture, we start with the verse we read after giving an introduction and then we just conclude with the last verse, if time permits. On Thursday when you got the devotional and you were supposed to read 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, did you have the reaction I had? I got stuck. Not in verse 1 and not in verse 2. I got stuck on verse 3. So if you're okay with this this morning, we're going to preach this out of order. We're not going to preach verse 1, 2, and 3. We're going to preach verse 3, then go back to 1, then go to 2. Why? Because verse 3 starts with if. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord Jesus here is good. Peter in verse one is gonna tell us a negative thing we've got to do that involves five things. And then he's gonna tell us a positive thing that involves God's word. But here's what he knows. It only pertains to those of us who have tasted that the Lord is good. You know I surf the internet late Saturday night and early Sunday morning just to see what from my friends and some of the people that I respect think about this passage. And I was amazed last night and early this morning in surfing that many people in the evangelical church believe that this word if should be translated by the word since or because. Since is a word of certainty. Because is a word of certainty. 
We do these two things since we've tasted the Lord is good. We do these two things because the Lord is good and we've tasted. But the tense Peter uses here is the subjunctive tense. It's the mood of doubt. Yes, Peter is writing to elect exiles, but as he's writing this letter, he knows there are those in the congregation, those are going to come under the reading of this letter, and they have not tasted that the Lord is good. This may be why this verse alarmed me because I'm a pastor of a church. We get to do this three times on Sunday morning and it's possible that there's a few of us here in this service. It's possible there's some of us who are watching online this morning that have not tasted that Jesus is good. So if we've not tasted that Jesus is good, we cannot put away the five things in our life. And we will not crave the pure milk of God's word. And here's what's probably gonna happen this morning. If we really listen and really let the Holy Spirit convict us this morning, some of us may come to realize We've not tasted that the Lord is good. But if we know we've tasted that the Lord is good, we're going to be determined to put away these five things in our life and long for this one thing that Peter puts before us. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the New Testament, knowing that the writers of the New Testament were Jewish, they'll say something and it'll cause me to remember something in the Old Testament, even though they may not be quoting that verse. When Peter says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, it reminds me of Psalm 34 verse 8. Do y'all remember that verse? There's something powerful about music. There's something powerful about songs. You remember them. We can sing a song that I haven't heard in years here in this church, and then all of a sudden, the moment I start to hear it, I remember almost every word of it. You're the same way, right? That's why most of us don't like new songs. We like old songs. They're just burnt in our spirit. They're burned in our soul. But there was a time when we didn't like those songs either. Songs are so important in teaching that there's a whole book in the Old Testament, a song book, 150 of them. And in Psalm 34, verse 8, David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then because this is a song and because it's 
poetry, there's gonna be a second sentence that's going to modify that first sentence, tell us more about it, and then that verse says, blessed is the man who takes his refuge in the Lord. Yeah. So the person who tastes and sees that the Lord, Yahweh, is good, He's the blessed man because what does he do? If you taste and see that the Lord is good, if the Lord is gracious, that the Lord is kind, what do you do? You take refuge in him. You put your confidence in him. You put your trust in him and you are a blessed man. I think Peter may be alluding to this verse. He he just knows that when you taste something and you experience something, it has an effect on you. Have any of you ever eaten at a place and tasted something that was so good that you have driven back to that place? And when they brought you the menu, you didn't even look at it. Because you had eaten that one thing You didn't have an appetite for anything else on that menu. You just wanted that one thing. Sure. I I don't want to sound snobby here when I say this. I'm just going to say the truth. Last night, Mimish got out the skillet. And she put two steaks in it. And we had pan-seared Steaks. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm, good. She put a ribeye in the skillet. I don't eat ribeyes. So you know what was beside the ribeye? Filet mignon. Anybody in my family knows this to be true? I love filet mignon. And I gotta be honest with y'all, filet mignon has changed my taste palette. I'm not teasing when I say this. I say this truthfully. We raise beef. I do occasionally have to eat another kind of steak besides a filet. But I want you to hear my heart. If I can't have a filet mignon when I sit down to beef, I'd just soon have a hamburger. My taste palate, my appetite, a ribeye, a New York strip, they're in the same category as hamburger. Because I have tasted, I have experienced filet mignon. Have you tasted Jesus? Really tasted Jesus? Did it not change your appetite? Did it not change your life? I remember March 24th, 1974. I was just 13 years old. But sitting on the front row of Liberty Baptist Church after I repented of sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus for the first time I got a taste of him. And it changed my life. Doesn't mean I haven't eaten some things I didn't have an appetite for. 
but it changed my appetite. Eating filet mignon has changed my appetite. Have you tasted Jesus? Really? Have you experienced Jesus? Have have you done what Jesus said in John's gospel when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. There is a total consuming consumption of him as your Lord and your Savior. Your faith is not in anything but him. And your life has been transformed. Sin, self, it's not in the same category. As a matter of fact, when you try to eat some of those things, it makes you sick at your stomach. You spiritually want to puke. You spiritually want to vomit. Because you realize you've been lied to. Why? Because you've tasted Jesus. You've tasted his graciousness. You've tasted his kindness. You've lived his kind of life. So you don't want the other things on the menu. You only want him. So here's what it says. If indeed you have tasted. So this is for all of us who have indeed tasted. You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. Notice three of these things. All malice, all deceit, all slander have all in front of the word. You don't avoid just one form of malice. You don't just avoid one form of deceit. You don't just avoid one form of slander. We avoid all forms. Why? Because we've tasted Jesus. And in our personal relationship with him, we just have to put it away. We sit down at the table and we go, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. Uh-uh. Can't go there. Can't participate in that. Why? Because I've eaten his flesh. I've drank his blood. I have a spiritual appetite now. And these things are of the flesh. And I cannot feed them to myself anymore. So I have to put them away. I have to strip them away. Malice. 
Basically, it means this if you're a Dexter kid. It means to have ill will towards someone. Anybody struggling with that this morning? Don't raise your hand. There's just some people you have ill will toward. You wouldn't do it personally, but you wish harm to them. That's why you slander them. You don't want any of the people who like them to like them anymore because you've got ill will for them. You want to take them down. You want to hurt them. You're saying, now brother, I know I don't know what they've done to you, but can I say this? I know what you did to him. And despite what you did him, I know what he's done to you. He's been gracious and he's been good and he's been kind. And he's our daddy. And we have his DNA now if we've been born again. So we gotta strip that away. Deceit, all of it. All of it. If you've not tasted that the Lord is good, you're gonna struggle with deceit. Peter uses a strong word here. He was a fisherman. This word literally means to bait a hook. It means to trick someone. It means to set a trap. So can I just say this to all of you people who fish? You're probably a liar. You get in that boat or you get on that bank and for some reason you think it's okay to deceive little fish. But what you really want to deceive is big fish. So you drop that hook, you drop that, what do we call it, lure? I mean, how many of us go down to the bank or in the boat and just drop a steel hook with a point on it? A fish isn't going to... Bite that? They might run into it accidentally, but they're not gonna bite that. So what do we do? We take a worm. Remember when whoever taught you to bait a hook taught you how to bait a hook? You take that worm and man, you cover every bit of that steel hook you can cover because you want to deceive that fish. You don't want him to think he's biting a hook. You want him to think he's getting a worm or a minnow. How can you deceive a brother or sister? How can you set them up like you've set them up? I mean, because you've tasted Jesus when it starts to be thought about, doesn't it make you just want to vomit? Doesn't it make you want to say, I'm not going to have anything to do with this? That's what Peter says will happen to those of us who have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, if we haven't tasted the Lord is good, we're going to be fine with that. Hypocrisy. To put on a mask 
to hide our true motivation and act like we sincerely love someone when we don't. Envy? See somebody else's life and envy it? Don't want them to have it because we don't have it? Compare ourselves to them and not want them to have what they have. Slander? To talk down? That's what it means, to talk down. It means to gossip, it means to spread rumors. It's amazing how we can do this in the spiritual family. You know what? We really need to pray for so-and-so. Why? Oh, you hadn't heard? Oh, I'm not gonna tell you. But let's pray for them. You just slandered them. You've been in that conversation where you, you're deceitful, you set it up, and then you back off and go, oh, no, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go. You just went there. You just went there. And Peter says, if we've tasted Jesus and his graciousness and his goodness, We're going to push that stuff away. Please tell me that when we participate in this, it makes us sick at our soul. Because it doesn't agree with who we really are in Christ. What's he just commanded us? He's commanded us to love one another. Love one another. Not phileo agapao. Love because the love is arising, not because we have a need, but because they have a need. These five things kill love in the family. Ill will, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. It kills love in a family. And it kills love in a church. And here's what Peter's reminding us. If we've tasted and experienced Jesus, brush it aside. Take your menu and tear it apart and say, "Uh uh-uh. Not even gonna be tempted with this stuff. Amen? And as you start getting victory over this, it proves You've tasted Jesus is good. You say, Brother Ricky, this is just who I am. Well, if this is just who you are, you have not tasted Jesus is good. That's why Peter puts this in the subjunctive mode. If indeed you have tasted. So once we do this negative thing, now he says this, verse two. Lack. Newborn infants 
long for the pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow into salvation. You ever been in that situation where you saw somebody doing something and what they were doing did not really reveal the age they were so you looked at them and said grow up. Grow up. Peter wants us to grow up. And he tells us the secret to growth. Not only discourage anyone here, but into salvation is not in some of our most ancient manuscripts. Into salvation's been added. But there's no doubt, according to the context, we've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. We've been brought into relationship with God as a child, so when God wants us to grow up, he wants us to grow up into what? Maturity, he wants us to grow up into adulthood. He wants us to grow up and be like the one we're supposed to be like, which is Jesus. Amen? Can I say this? You are not supposed to be the best version of you you can be. You're supposed to be like Christ. I don't know if you had an older brother or an older sister, but you've got one in the spiritual family. And he set the standard. Dad loves you, but dad knows he did it right, so dad expects us to live up to him. And dad knows because we have his DNA, we can be like him. So here's what he tells us. Be like a newborn babe. Long for, crave milk. Isn't it amazing how infants crave milk? They really do. That's what this word means. It means to crave. It means you can't do without it. You're going to do everything in your means to get it. And that's what babies do. They're just rude. Amen. I mean, babies want milk so bad, they've kind of got this schedule, most of them, about every two hours. Not in the daytime, and the night too. Thank you, moms, for what y'all do. Getting up at 12 and two and four. We are really praying for you and thanking God for you while you're doing all of that. Just want you to know that we really do as your husband and as the father of that child. I mean, they're letting you know. They're screaming sometimes to the loudness of their voice, top of their voice. And they don't care what you're doing. They want milk. And have you ever noticed this about a baby? This honestly happens. I will be shocked on March 26th when we do baby dedication because it was just a few weeks ago, a few months ago that I held a little bitty baby up here on stage about this big and now, wow, wow. Have you ever seen how fast a baby grows in the first six months? And the only thing they eat or drink, I should say, is milk. That's why the milk industry used to say, milk, it does a body good. 
Except Peter here is not talking about physical milk. He's drawn the analogy, newborn baby who craves for milk. And now he wants you and I, he's not saying we're still babies in Christ, but he wants us to have that same craving, that same desire for what? The pure spiritual milk. What is the pure spiritual milk? In the context here of the end of chapter one, it's the word of God. So what are you craving spiritually? Word of God. Right? Scale of one to 10, what's your crave level? Do you want it for breakfast? You want it for lunch? You want it for supper? Or are you one of these that can just, you know, hey, verse a day, I'm good. It shows. It really shows. Yeah. No spiritual appetite for God's word. I'm not talking about reading on a theological level. I'm talking about reading on a devotional level where you're reading God's word as a love letter from God to you. Talking about his son, Jesus Christ. Do you desire this like a infant desires milk? Now, 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 please understand, Peter's not doing what Paul and Apollos do. Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, talks about milk, milk being only for baby Christians. In, 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 in the third chapter, verses one through three, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Here Paul talks about some of us who are babies in Christ and we can't digest, can't handle the meaty things of God's word. That's not what Peter's doing here. Peter isn't calling the church babies in Christ. Milk here, pure spiritual milk, stands for the whole of God's teaching, the whole of the divine revelation, all 66 books. They weren't all completed at this time. He's talking about all of God's word. Apollos, writing to a group of Hebrew people who were living in Rome at a time of persecution, says this, about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you again. The basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So don't come to this letter thinking he's writing to babies in Christ. No. He's writing to Christians and many of them are mature. And just like a baby, he wants them, if you've tasted Jesus, he wants you to crave pure spiritual milk. I sometimes crave for not. <laughs> If you've tasted Jesus, you crave his word. Amen? You crave it. Can't live without it. Got to have it. 
Why? So we'll grow. So we'll grow up. What kind of milk is it going to take for us to grow up? Pure spiritual milk. Not the 2% kind. Not the skim kind. Whole milk. All of God's word. So that we'll grow up. Grow up into who we're supposed to be. Wow. I've told you this before, but when I was a kid, I wanted to play basketball at the University of Kentucky and be a Kentucky Wildcat. And I had this little piece of tape on the door frame. And from time to time, I would measure myself. Do you have any way of measuring yourself? Are you growing up? Do any of y'all remember what happened about 10 or 12 years after the Got Milk commercials were released? Y'all don't remember this? All of a sudden, they started having the same people in the Got Milk commercials, except what the people were doing now was they were drinking milk, and when they would drink milk and they'd pull the milk glass down, there'd be a white mustache. You could tell the people drinking milk by their mustache. Simple question. Got milk? Or let's say it this way. Got Jesus? Do you have the Jesus mustache? That you don't even know is there? But others around you see is there? and know you've tasted Jesus, that he's gracious and kind. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the truth of Peter's words. Please help us examine ourselves. This is not a message to cause any of us to doubt our salvation unless we need to doubt it because there is no evidence in our life other than going to church. Oh, Father, let us see what the real evidence is. It's all those things we're putting away because we're craving your word and your word has given us the spiritual nourishment to grow us up. Thank you, Father, for letting us feast on your son. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. 
You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.